0: This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you.
1: Heart failure affects approximately 3 million American women, with roughly 670,000 total new cases diagnosed annually. And while it's the leading cause of hospitalizations in adults over 65, premature onset heart failure occurs in people under 65 as well. But strangely enough, heart failure is not as scary as it may sound, and it doesn't mean that the heart has completely stopped working. Rather, it means the heart works less efficiently than normal. Think of an overworked car engine with worn parts resulting in a noticeable drop in power. Similarly, a patient with heart failure moves blood through the heart and body at a slower rate, rendering it unable to pump enough oxygen and nutrients to meet the body's needs. To compensate, the heart may enlarge, or it might pump faster, the blood vessels may narrow to increase blood pressure, and the kidneys may retain more salt and water to increase your blood volume. And while these compensatory acts could explain why some people go undiagnosed for a while, eventually, the heart becomes overworked and patients typically start experiencing fatigue and trouble breathing. And while doctors haven't found a cure for heart failure, many people with heart failure live active lives. So what are the common causes of heart failure? How does it specifically affect women? And why is it so prevalent in Black and Hispanic communities? How do social determinants of health, bias and structural racism impact these disproportionate numbers? And most importantly, what can we do about it? We'll be back after a quick break.
2: Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios. Enjoy the show.
1: And now, back to our episode. Here to discuss this topic is Dr. Carol Watson. Dr. Watson is an attending cardiologist and a professor of cardiology at the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles, where she's also the director of the university's Women's Cardiovascular Health Center. And Siobhan Dixon. Siobhan is living with heart failure, a journey she openly shares on social media and her blog entitled, This Well-Planned Life. She was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy, a condition that affects the muscles of the heart at the age of 19, underwent two open heart surgeries, has a cardiac device implant, and is currently listed for heart transplant. Siobhan is an inspiration and a wealth of information for women diagnosed with heart failure. I'm so excited to have you both with me today. Thanks for joining me.
3: Thanks so much for having us. Thank you.
1: The name of the podcast is Health Discovered. So we like to start off by hearing each of your aha moments or the pivotal moments of discovery in your heart health journey. Siobhan, let's start with you.
2: Okay, so I was a young, vibrant, 19-year-old, fresh in college, had my whole life basically planned out. I wanted to be a nurse, and I went to the doctor for a normal appointment. I needed a physical for school, and my doctor said he heard a murmur and I didn't know what a murmur was, so he kind of explained it's like this whistling sound he's hearing when my heart is pumping. And I said, okay, what do we do about that? Thinking I need like some medicine or something. He said, "Um, it's pretty loud, and I want you to get an echocardiogram. And when I got my echocardiogram the following day, he gave me a call and said, your mitral valve had prolapsed. And he explained that the blood is basically backing up into my heart and it's been like this for a long time where my heart became enlarged. I literally needed surgery within a week. they said I could pass out and go into cardiac arrest at any moment because of how dire the situation was. I was terrified and that moment was the pivotal point in my life where this is a whole new ball game and this is now your future.
1: Wow. Dr. Watson, what was the pivotal moment for you? Why did you choose cardiology and heart failure focus?
3: I was always that science nerd interested in all things science. And then I decided to go into medicine and all of the organs are important, but the one pivotal organ, nothing happens without it is the heart. So I loved cardiology. I loved learning about heart disease, treating heart disease, the amazing interventions, the technology we could do. It was fascinating. But the more and more I got into cardiology, I realized we could do these phenomenal procedures on patients with end-stage heart disease and often bring them back to some level of functional activity. But I said, why don't we just try to prevent things? Maybe that would be even better. So that's when I got into prevention oh. and the idea of preventing deaths just consumed me. And as we see more and more patients developing heart disease, that is now the leading preventable cause of cardiac mortality. If I wow. can prevent you from developing heart failure or adequately treat it, I can make a bigger impact than almost
2: anything sure.
1: else. And adequately diagnosing it as well. Exactly. We all chatted beforehand and I was struck by both of you really said independently to me, you hate the term heart failure, right? Like if we had to do it over again, maybe we wouldn't call it that. But I want to go first to Siobhan and say, when you heard the term heart failure, What was your reaction? Here you are, a young woman, and we don't typically think of heart failure in young women.
2: No, and I thought that my heart was failing, and I literally wanted to know, like, how much time do I have left with having heart failure? I knew nothing about it or what the term actually meant. It's not that your heart doesn't work anymore. It's just working in a lower capacity. And it led me into depression, I thought my life was over. I didn't know how
3: to move forward and to continue living.
1: And Dr. Watson, why do you dislike that term?
3: It does not describe it well. When the heart is struggling, I mean, when your child is struggling in school, we don't say they're failing. You know, it's struggling and we need to help it along. And there's so many things we can do now to help it along. So the idea that something's failing, I really don't like
1: it. What are those risk factors? for heart failure. And do people get confused still heart disease, which is we often typically refer to like as obstruction, plaque and a heart attack. So what are the difference in risk factors for those things?
3: So the most common causes of heart failure in this country are atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, you know, arteries getting hardened, the heart not getting enough blood, the heart gets damaged and the heart does start to struggle. The other very, very, very common risk factor and very underappreciated is hypertension. The way I like to think of it is your heart is a pump. It pumps up and down all Day long. Think about your legs. If you're jumping up and down on a trampoline all day long, you could do that a long time. But if you're jumping up and down on concrete all day long, your legs are going to get really tired. With hypertension, the heart is pumping against concrete all day long. It's going to get tired.
1: What about for folks like Siobhan? Here she is, young, right? We chatted beforehand and you asked us, is she black or Hispanic?
3: I did. Why does that matter? Because I can tell you, heart failure develops earlier in people of color. It tends to be more severe in people of color, and they tend to die younger. And so when you think about potential years of life lost, it's staggering. There are some cardiomyopathy or heart failure syndromes that are more common in people of color. But there are also social determinants of health that make treating and diagnosing and getting into the proper therapy difficult for some people. So when I hear of a young person who develops heart failure, I think it's probably a person of color.
1: And Siobhan, had you ever heard or met anyone with heart failure? What was going through your mind?
2: Absolutely not. When I got the news It didn't seem real. I didn't understand, like, how is this happening? And I'm still walking around fine. I don't feel sick. They asked about history, and I was never symptomatic.
1: But even though you never had symptoms, you had a good doctor that listened to your heart very closely, correct? And what did the doctor hear? He
2: heard a murmur. And even now, looking back at it, To think that maybe if the murmur was picked up earlier, it could have maybe have prevented the severity of how my heart gotten so enlarged and my mitral valve prolapsing. So that kind of haunted me to think, did I receive optimal care growing up and going to the doctor and getting physicals and things like this for me to be 19 and being faced with a medical emergency at this time?
1: And Dr. Watson, what's that diagnostic workup? Because sometimes, as I referenced at the beginning, people have fatigue. People have fatigue for a lot of reasons, right? They're not necessarily having that chest pain that we associate with a heart attack. You know, in Siobhan's case, she really wasn't having symptoms. What's that diagnostic workup for heart failure?
3: So it's really hard when you have someone like Siobhan who does not have symptoms Fortunately, most people do have symptoms that will alert you to the fact The predominant symptoms are fatigue and fluid retention. Fluid builds up in the legs or in the lungs, so they get short of breath or overwhelmingly fatigued, and then you need to start looking. But in Siobhan's case, she had a clear sign, a murmur, so that should have elicited a workup early. Why does she have this murmur? What does it mean? And there were likely other signs that went along with that, which should have been picked up earlier for
1: Siobhan. And then we have this echocardiogram, which for our listeners is an ultrasound test that checks the structure and function of the heart. Typically, people have those in other diagnostic studies. Is that right?
3: That is totally correct. So whenever there's a symptom like shortness of breath, it's typically... One of three things, it's the heart, it's the lungs, or it's the blood, like being anemic. Those three things are the major things. It's pretty easy to rule out each one. The heart with an echocardiogram, the lungs with a chest X-ray or pulmonary function tests, and anemia with blood tests. So it would really be pretty straightforward to figure out what's causing the shortness of breath if you
1: have it. Dr. Watson, you make it sound so simple, but we know that data shows that people are misdiagnosed, underdiagnosed, particularly women and people of color. Sometimes for women, I'm an internist, you know, we see in the literature, people say, well, you're tired, it's stress. They don't do that diagnostic workup. Many people aren't as good about auscultation, that listening of the heart How has our knowledge changed in recent years about misdiagnosis and underdiagnosis of heart failure in women and people of color?
3: Well, we've learned that the underdiagnosis and the late diagnosis is very prevalent, and that could absolutely change the ultimate outcome. One of the things that our societies are focusing on is when someone presents with one of these symptoms... Get an echocardiogram, get an assessment of their heart function. It's a pretty straightforward test and doctors should be able to order it very readily. But again, it's not always done. One of the other things that we know is that there are disparities in how we treat people. We don't always offer the same test to the same people for the same indications. So for instance, women are often given less testing. People of color are often offered less testing. And I don't think anyone goes out there with the stated goal of, I'm going to discriminate against this person. But I just think that sometimes it gets overlooked or forgotten. Most healthcare providers are men and many times women present differently and they don't use the same language. They've shown that. I've had many patients with frank heart failure. My heart just feels tired It just feels heavy. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily say the short of breath or an elephant sitting on my chest. The standard things
1: we're taught to look out for. But it's the responsibility of the medical community, not the patient community to make sure that they're adequately diagnosed and the data are the data. And and we know that women are underdiagnosed, undertreated. So are people of color and we need to establish systems to correct that. We all have implicit and explicit biases. Siobhan, you and I talked before and I asked you point blank. I said, do you feel you were treated differently as a woman? or perhaps someone of color. And I know it's hard when you're in that moment, right, of here you're getting treated, you've been given this diagnosis, you're concerned about your mortality. But now looking back, do you have any concerns?
2: Yes, definitely. So initially I was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy before it progressed into heart failure. And after surgery, I had a cardiologist where I followed up with religiously. I never missed any appointments. I often complained about feeling like my heart is racing. And his explanation was, oh, it's normal. You had heart surgery and people with heart surgery could have scar tissues and causes their heart to race. And I felt that was okay. You hear it from your doctor. Okay, this is normal. Let's dismiss it. And It kept happening to a point where sometimes my heart would race and I got winded. I felt like I was going to faint. And I said, you know what, maybe this isn't normal. I did not receive any extra medication from him for this particular symptom. And I just felt maybe something could happen to me. I started doing some research about when your heart raced, what it could possibly mean. And I found the word tachycardia, didn't know what that meant. And tachycardia is when your heart races really fast. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I have this. I started looking up, how do you treat tachycardia? It said you needed to see an electrophysiologist. I'm like, I didn't see any additional doctor. It was just this one doctor and there was no additional treatment. Just refill my meds every time I go to see him. And that was basically our treatment. I was leaving work one day I walked down the stairs. My heart started to race so fast. At the time I reached to the bottom, I almost fainted. Some employees had to kind of catch me. They put me in the lobby. I was rushed to the emergency room where my heart rate got up into the 240 beats per minute, nearly fainted a multitude of times. They suggested that I get an implant and they asked if my doctor did not discuss this with me. And I said, no. So I didn't make a decision in the hospital. I wanted to go home and really think about it and find a doctor to care for me in that capacity. So I found my doctors that I see now. And right away, I saw an electrophysiologist and his first suggestion is that I need a cardiac defibrillator because in case your heart goes into this abnormally fast rhythm where it cannot correct itself, you will go into cardiac arrest and you will die. So the device that I have is called a subcutaneous ICD. It's implanted under my left side, and there's two leads that sits right on top of my heart. This is for people with these particular symptoms, and this is how people go into cardiac arrest. So my device has kept me alive. It saved my life once, and I've had it for about five years. I had it replaced once. And had I not researched on my own and do all of these things, maybe... I wouldn't be here, I don't know.
1: When we return, the steps that led Siobhan to assemble her own heart health team.
2: There is a world of treatment, medication, and I was not receiving that. And that led me to basically being my own advocate.
1: We'll be back after a quick break. this disparate treatment, the social determinants that can also play a role in different types of care that we deliver to people based on their gender or the color of their skin.
3: This is such a hard thing to tackle. We've documented it time and time again. And I think Siobhan probably suffered from three-part disparities. She was young, she was Black, She was a woman. No one expected her to look like the face of heart failure. So that's one of the problems. When you don't look like what someone expects it to look like, that's going to probably lead to delays in diagnosis. What we have to do is we all have to take this constellation of symptoms, treat it the same each and every time whether it's a young person, a black person, a woman, if someone presents to me with my heart racing and feeling winded, I need to get an echocardiogram 100% of the time, regardless. But how do
1: patients know that they're getting good care? How do patients become their own best advocate?
3: Yeah, that is the million dollar question. One of the things I would say is, to definitely be your own advocate like Siobhan was. There are so many resources out there now, I think that makes it a little easier to know. But again, it's just difficult. Find a healthcare provider you really trust and make sure you keep asking questions.
1: And Siobhan, I was impressed with the amount of research that you did. So what's your advice to listeners as to how they become you know, their own best advocate?
2: Looking back, my previous cardiologist, whenever I had a question, it was almost like a dismissive response. I felt okay with that at the time I was young, and I didn't know better. When I started looking up things myself, I first needed to understand exactly what is cardiomyopathy and what is heart failure, to understand how I can continue to live my life. I got into support groups. I got into groups on Facebook with people with the same conditions. And I feel like that really opened up my eyes to the world of treatment for heart failure. If you're experiencing a symptom and you're just not sure if it's normal, I typed something in and the responses I got, it made me realize there is a world of treatment, medications, and I was not receiving that. And that kind of led me to... Basically, being my own advocate and my doctors now, I go with my notebook with questions, and it's like we're having a conversation. If I research a treatment or a medication, I talk to him about it, and it's never a dismissive, oh, it's not for you or anything. He would look into it, bring it to the heart failure team. They will answer my questions. And I feel so comfortable leaving, knowing that, okay, we spoke about everything. I know I'm receiving the right treatment. If I want to try something or don't want to try something, he 100% supports me and he listens. And he's always commented that I'm his favorite patient. I don't know if it's just oh, making me great. feel good. Yeah, that's Because good. I come loaded questions and I listen to other people. I attend the support groups because you know what, you're not alone. And there are the people out there who are going through the same thing and whose doctors may be doing things different. And even at the hospitals that you may go to for your treatment, the patients who already had a heart transplant or are waiting for a transplant, oftentimes they have support group where you can go and meet in person. And it really do help you to see that people are out there and they're thriving and they're doing okay. It took away a lot of my fears about getting a new heart because I was so scared. But seeing these heart recipients just continuing to live life and coming back and educating the rest of us and letting us know, okay, you know, we are doing okay. This is how I, my life is after a heart transplant. It really kind of took that fear that I had for such a long time when they told me I needed a new heart.
3: Siobhan, what you say is so important. My favorite patients really are the ones who participate in their care. They bring me good questions. We have a discussion. (laughs) I love that. That's something I think everyone should look for in their healthcare provider. Are they someone you can discuss things with or is it like my way or the highway? No, it's a conversation. I'm an expert in cardiology. Siobhan is an expert in Siobhan. So Siobhan's gonna tell me what she can do.
1: And Dr. Watson, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that too, because sometimes we focus so much on the cardiologist, but it's also the primary care physician plays a key role. Sometimes it's social work, it's those support groups. Talk to us about the importance of patients having a team.
3: Absolutely critical. Nobody does this alone. So if you have one solo doctor and they don't really... Bring in that team, I would ask questions. Do I need an electrophysiologist? Do I need a team? The other thing she said that was so important is the support. We have found some of the best pieces of advice our patients have gotten have been from their what they call their heart sisters and their support group, because they live this. Here's an example. I had a young patient like Siobhan with heart failure who was on a blood thinner to prevent her from getting a blood clot and a stroke. And when she would have her menstrual period, it would be just horrific. And she never got any advice from her physician. It was her heart sisters who gave her her advice about what to do, how to handle it.
1: We've talked a little bit about treatments. I just wanted to see Dr. Watson, if you could, you know, quickly go through what are those treatment options nowadays for patients with heart failure?
3: So there are two main classes of heart failure. One is called hef PEF, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. That means the heart squeezes just fine, but it's stiff and it doesn't relax. So it can't function well. The other in the more common cause is called HEF-REF, Heart failure with reduced ejection faction means it doesn't squeeze well. So you can't get the blood to the organs that need it. There are different treatments for each. Let me start with half breath There are four main pillars, what we call GDMT guideline directed medical therapy that everyone should be on. And if you're not, ask your physician or your cardiologist, why not? For half path There's really only one guideline-recommended therapy, and the rest is all symptomatic treatment. We just do what we can to make you feel better. But absolutely talk to your doctors about the appropriate medications. Are you on them? This is all guideline-directed. We don't make it up. This is what medical science has shown us works. We should do it every time.
1: And everyone's a little different too, given that though, in terms of side effects and other aspects, but lifestyle also plays a role. Siobhan, how have you had to change your life because of this diagnosis?
2: My physical ability has drastically been reduced. Even though you can look at me, I look fine and healthy, you see me walking. If I go up two flights of stairs, I get winded. I cannot do any strenuous activity. I cannot run anymore. I was able to ride my bike the other day, but in limited intervals. So my activity capacity has been reduced a lot, but I have a good support system at home where I don't have to do a lot, which helps tremendously. But my day-to-day life, thanks to the medication that I'm on and my treatment, to me, It's pretty stable and I call this my new normal. I know my limitations and I live by it, but I do make the best of it. I love your attitude. (laughs) Thank you.
1: And Dr. Watson, we always talk about how do we empower people with good information, good advice. What is your advice? What tips do you have for patients to ask their doctor about their care?
3: Yeah, there are so many resources out there and there's a lot of great resources, but there's some kind of crackpot resources. Mm -hmm. So I would stick to the trusted medical sites. I recommend my patients go to the American Heart Association website, to the Women Heart website. These are tried and true trusted organizations which will give you good advice. Siobhan, I wanted
1: to know, what do you know now that you wish you knew? when you were first diagnosed?
2: I wish I knew my team now. I feel like I would have gotten better care. And I wish that I was more knowledgeable. I've gotten to a point where I was so sick, I was on the border of being admitted into the hospital. And with the conversations with my doctor and asking about new medication and new trials, I am on a medication that has been successful for people with heart failure. This is a question that I ask all the time in my appointments. Am I at the optimal dose? And are there any new treatments for heart failure? Are there any trials that I can participate in? These are all questions that I know now to ask at my appointments. I didn't know these things happened. So it comes with time and getting to know about your condition a lot more will help you with your appointments.
1: What do you both think is the biggest misconception about heart failure in women?
3: I think it's that people don't think women get heart failure. At least 50% of heart failure cases occur in women. It does sometimes tend to be a different type. Women tend to get more the stiff heart type. Men tend to get more of the weak heart type but it presents exactly the same and the outcomes are exactly the same. So the
2: biggest misconception, I believe, is people feel that you know your life is ending or it, this is the end. Okay. You can still live a normal life and have fun and enjoy life with heart failure like I am doing every day. It's scary to say heart failure, but with treatment, you can live
1: life with heart failure. Tell our listeners where they can learn more about your journey?
2: Well, I share on all the social media platforms. I am This Well Planned Life. My name is Siobhan. I also have a blog, thiswellplannedlife.com. And I just show people and try to encourage everyone. doesn't matter what your diagnosis is. Continue to live life while you can.
1: Dr. Watson, what's your message for a listener, particularly a woman? perhaps someone of color, who's received the diagnosis of heart failure.
3: Yeah, so everything Siobhan says is absolutely spot on. Arm yourself with information, do your research, get as much information as you can, and then find that professional medical provider who really listens to you, who you can trust. It is a journey, and this is your team, and you guys will grow all together.
1: I want to thank you both for joining me today, Siobhan and and Dr. Watson.
2: Thanks so much for having us. It was good to be here. Thank you. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.
0: We have a great show today, but first...